0: Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and guest panelist, once again, Mr. JJ Leahy. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, at JJ Leahy. Yeah, still sticking with the Ryan Schlipp intro. Hey, thanks for tuning back in. Hope you enjoyed the last time I was on here. Obviously, we did not draft any of the three players that I did a deep dive on last time, but, you know... I will defer to the Packers. They are better evaluators of talent than I am, and they did not uh, feel like taking him in the fifth round, which is when they would have had to. He went pretty early in the sixth round. They took Kylan Hill with their seventh round pick. I'm not the biggest fan in the world of Kylan Hill and his skill set, uh, but you know we'll see what he can turn into, see if he can be a special teams contributor to start out. And uh, if he can work on those pass-blocking skills, maybe he can earn some snaps on offense as well and be our running back number three. All righty, so today has not been the greatest day. Been on the road for a week. Went to a wedding. It was pretty nice. And uh, just was really looking forward to getting home and seeing the family again. And came home to all kinds of just life problems to navigate and Needed to run an errand into town and the transmission blew out of my car. So we're down to zero cars. So my sister came over and dropped off a vehicle that we can use for a couple days. Super nice of her, especially this late at night. Really appreciate it. So I get a message from Ryan asking if I want to take the podcast for today. And I said, you know what? Actually, I do. I could use the distraction. So uh, we're going to dig into a bunch of questions. I sent out a tweet and uh, posted in the Packernet Facebook group so that we could uh, kind of get some questions rolling and I'm looking forward to this. I think we got some good questions submitted, but I figured I'd give you a little bit of preface there so that if my train of thought seems a little bit hard to follow or what have you, you know, I feel like... uh, openness and honesty is always the best policy. So, let's go ahead and jump into this. First off, let's take a look at the Jordan Love article written by Ty Dunn that uh Ryan said we we're going to get into today. If you didn't listen to the podcast yesterday, Ryan started to get into this and he was just talking about the Aaron Rodgers part. Uh, you know, is it an interview with one of the current Packers players who is talking about Rodgers and talking about how he's got this evil criminal mastermind plan to expose the Packers, yada, yada. I'd like to just throw my two cents out there. I kind of want to know what player this is and trade them as well. Uh, I (laughs) I don't like how this guy is talking. What a toxic attitude to have here. Ugh. Um, I got my suspicion. I mean, it's kind of not hard to deduce who this would be. But, uh, you know, I, I if I'm Brian Gudekunst, I probably have heard about this article. And, you know, it says current Packers player. It says that uh, he has to remain anonymous because the Packers still employ him. This dude is gone if I'm Gudekunst. Actually, sounds like we have a number of guys in that locker room who kind of need to go. I don't have names, but I mean, unless these articles are completely fictional, there's at least a small sort of circle of, you know, I mean, I mean, there's some toxic things that uh, they're saying about Packers leadership. I just I don't see the benefit in keeping guys like that around, even if they are really, really good. I mean, this, you know, this kind of stuff spreads. We saw that. And the last bit there of Mike McCarthy's leadership in Green Bay in 2018, Gudikins kind of cleaned house on a bunch of personalities that were not benefiting what was going on in the locker room. And I would say, you know, whether this is new people or or people who didn't get cleaned out back then or people who have soured since then, you know, look, one bad apple can spoil the bunch. I'm not interested in risking the rest of the team morale and their chemistry together and everything that Matt LaFleur has worked so hard to build so that a click of high schooly, petty, snarky, mean spirited friends can continue to infect the locker room. No thank you. I'm whoever this guy is, he's gone if I'm Goody and uh probably a couple other guys who are part of that same little circle who I would be shipping off as well. But I don't know. We'll see. I had to throw that out there because it's been bugging me all day. So let's dig into the Jordan Love section of this article that is titled Let the Jordan Love Era Begin in Green Bay. The mystery, writes Ty Dunn, is a 22-year-old quarterback who nobody knows anything about. Life after Rodgers doesn't have to be nearly as scary, as apocalyptic, as everyone's making it seem right now. He points out that Aaron Rodgers' first season, the team went six and ten. Two years later, of course, they won a Super Bowl. That is a significant step back for the team that was just in the NFC Championship game two years in a row, thirteen and three. Just had an MVP quarterback, no question about it. Here's some of the quotes that uh, Ty Dunn has collected. So this would be Steve Calhoun, his private quarterback coach. He has an elite arm. He could throw the ball better than most people on the planet. That is something we've always known to be true. He always had a beautiful big arm uh, at Utah State. Uh, No question he was, you know, had uh, that sort of Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes ability to throw the ball anywhere from any angle off balance. So this was never in debate, you know, among people who actually watched his tape, actually saw what mistakes he was making. You can't coach a big arm. You can't really coach accuracy. Accuracy is probably one of the biggest things that I'm uncompromising on when it comes to evaluating quarterback prospects. Love is extremely accurate. These are reasons to be excited about him. Obviously he had a massive number of interceptions in 2019 Uh, that was decision-making, not accuracy. He made some really boneheaded decisions. And the quotes that are in this article kind of back up that idea that, you know, he has the physical traits, he has the arm. And what is needed is development of his mindset, you know, his decision-making, his vision. His vision, I think, is clearly one of his biggest uh, weaknesses. I mean, Ryan's talked a lot about all those times when there was just a linebacker, you know, in on tape who would just be squatting there, just waiting. And, uh, you know, he throws a ball he shouldn't throw. And the linebacker just floats up and intercepts it. And you're just sitting there wondering, how did you not see that guy? Uh, All right. Longtime NFL personnel executive Mark Ross, quote, he's taking this shrapnel unnecessarily when they have no clue. Talking about the media. Last year, I liked him better than Tua and Herbert. He is legit, man. It's some of the stuff that Rodgers does. The pocket feel, extending plays, being able to throw at different angles. Man, you just get juiced up just reading these quotes about these guys. We got quotes from two of his uh, teammates at Utah State. Not sure how much they matter, uh, but whatever. Here we go. Henry Columbi, his backup. Says, you'll see flashes of a young Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, you got to remember, Aaron Rodgers was not Aaron Rodgers back then. You know, it, he looked pretty bad the first couple times we saw him in Green Bay. It took a while for him to really start developing and sitting on the bench for three years obviously did wonders for him. And yet they still went uh, 6 and 10 his first year as a starter. Siasi Mariner, his number one receiver. Actually, interestingly, I was just looking up Siassi Mariner the other day. I was curious if he was still in the league. He went undrafted. Uh, and then I guess spent some time on a couple different practice squads. Um, the Raiders were the last one I could find, and looks like he never got another chance. I I was looking him up because I was really interested to see like, you know, I just wonder, like, if Love was the starter, would Mariner be a guy that we'd want to bring in because of his uh, connection with Love, and the answer is firm no. He's not even in the league. He's Nobody even wants him on their practice squad. So, oh, well. Anyways, Siassi Mariner, quote, The things Patrick Mahomes is doing, he can do as well. I don't even want to put a cap on him. Patrick Mahomes is a great player, but this is Jordan Love. Okay, so, like I said, not putting a massive amount of stock in, you know, these quotes from his former teammates who obviously – Really loved him. And, and, you know, it's great that they were so supportive of him. We've heard uh, from his uh, head coach, heard from players and stuff what a phenomenal leader he was and how, uh, you know, he was leading film sessions on his own with his teammates, you know, uh, that the coach didn't even know about. And he was always the uh, first guy in, last guy out, always staying up late watching film. You love to hear that. And it's obviously a big part of what the Packers loved about him. And, you know, we're sitting here with another quarterback controversy in Green Bay, 16 years after the last one. And obviously, those are some traits that you value uh, more than you normally would right now. So Ty Dunn, I guess, talked to Steve Calhoun. Loves quarterback coach out in California. Uh, we're kind of getting the Calhoun's version of the story of, you know, how he heard about the Aaron Rodgers news. I guess he got blasted with a ton of texts, uh, you know, basically asking, you know, is Jordan ready to be the starter? You know, what, where's he at? And, uh, you know, he's Calhoun's a calm guy he says, there's no need to worry about how love is handling all this news says he's handling it just fine. Uh, here's a quote. The thing I always told him, ever since we started working together, the things you have no control over, why worry about it? Let's control what we can control. We can control what we're doing in our workouts and how hard we work and the mental side of how much film we can watch. Those are the things we can control. The narrative that's being spun out there in the media, we have no control over that. He goes on to say, he goes about his business, that's all you can do. Go about your business and let everybody else do the talking. I will say it sounds like... From a couple different sources, uh, Love is getting some good advice. Uh, we know Matt LaFleur was asked, you know, how he is talking to Jordan about this and prepping him and stuff. And, uh, you know, obviously LaFleur really didn't go into a lot of detail, but he has been talking to him and has been reminding him to just shut the noise out and just focus on being ready, training to be the starter. And, you know, that's what Calhoun says as well says that he's training like a starter. Look, Jordan Love was drafted in the first round. He has always intended to be QB one of whatever team drafted him. And sitting behind Aaron Rodgers for multiple years was never his plan. I really wonder, you know, what's going through his head right now is he is you know, obviously he can't shut everything out. He's gotta be nervous and excited thinking that you know, after just sitting on the bench for just one year, maybe he will be the starter this year. Who knows? But it has been two years since he has played a football game. <laughs> uh, he has gone through a ton of coaching and training and practice despite COVID, despite missing his entire offseason that he was supposed to have. Lafleur even talked about that. Uh, but it's been two years since he's played in a game. Because of that, Steve Calhoun says that he has some creative drills and exercises that he is putting love through, uh, trying to anticipate every possible movement. He wants love to build new muscle memories. So on Sundays, his body will naturally take over. His body will naturally take over with his eyes always staying downfield. Oh, that's the goal. Okay. Calhoun watches film of the legends to see how they escape different pressures. Uh, and incorporates it all into training. I get sick of the constant, like let's compare every young quarterback to Patrick Mahomes. Um, It's a little bit less annoying when they're talking about, you know, our potential new quarterback. <laughs> uh, Here's another Mahomes reference here. Steve Calhoun talking about it. He says there is some Mahomes to love loves game. Definitely. But, Mahomes is one of one. Aaron Rodgers is one of one. Jordan wants to be Jordan Love. He doesn't want to be Patrick. He doesn't want to be Aaron. He wants to be Jordan Love. Okay, whatever. But here's where it gets interesting. Calhoun had to gently remind Love of this when they first reconnected this offseason. He realized Love had picked up some bad habits trying to imitate Rodgers and reeled him back in. I noticed some Rodgers in that video that we saw a couple weeks ago of love throwing some balls. It was really interesting. I got a question from a listener after that, you know, video kind of went viral asking, do I think he looks like Patrick Mahomes when he plays? And I understand why the question was asked because there's a little bit of his throwing motion, his off platform throwing motion that, you know, Mahomes has a very unique just throwing motion that you know, his style, as he's scrambling to his left and, and throwing downfield, you know, Mahomes has a distinct look. And when Love did that, I I could see why that comparison was being made, but he looked a lot more like Aaron Rodgers, I thought, in the way he was standing in the pocket, the way he started to scramble out of the pocket. Whatever, I'm not a quarterback guru. Calhoun is. It's much more interesting that Calhoun noticed this. says he's not restraining him. There's a natural grip it and rip it style to Love's game the world will soon see. Calhoun says Love can throw receivers open, a quality very few quarterbacks legitimately p- possess. Uh, we saw that on his film in 2019 with Utah State. His timing is pretty good. Uh, he definitely has an anticipatory throw. Guys aren't quite open yet. He throws the ball. By the time the ball gets there, they are open. That is kind of cool. It's definitely one of the things that first got me excited about him, and it's great for Lafleur's offense. Let me rewind the clock a year and talk to you about what our conversation was at the time. At that point, it was can Aaron Rodgers get on board with the offense and stop sabotaging the offense. Do you remember that Rogers sabotaged Lafleur's offense all the time? And it was probably unintentional, but there were a lot of times when there were guys schemed open and it was usually, you know, it wasn't even just that it was like guys he didn't trust. Although that was it sometimes, but you know, Jimmy Graham would be open. Devonte would get open sometimes They were schemed open and Rodgers would not take that, you know, six, seven yard gain down the middle that he was supposed to. He'd hold on to the ball, keep looking downfield, waiting for that big chunk play to open up. And that was something we talked about ad nauseum last offseason. Can Rodgers get on board with a new offense? Because if he can, he could have an MVP season. We could have the best offense in the league. That was one of the reasons why Jordan Love throwing in rhythm, throwing on time, throwing when the play called for it was so exciting. You know, it was a big – honestly, that was something we talked about a lot at that point is maybe the Packers are ready to move on from Rodgers because he is not playing the offense the way it's supposed to be played, and Lafleur needs to have an option and say, look – would love to have you doing this because our offense should be better with a hall of fame quarterback running it. But what's more important is somebody who's actually going to do what they're told and throw when they're supposed to and play the play that has been called instead of trying to sabotage. And there were a bunch of times where Rogers is holding on to the ball too long. He won't take the, the scheduled throw keeps waiting for something to develop downfield. It never does. He throws the ball away or, you know, runs out of bounds for like a yard. That was a massive theme in 2019. And obviously, fortunately, that was not the case in 2020. And the offense ran like a beautiful, well-oiled machine. But look, this is one more reason to be excited about love. I know he's excited to play in a game, says Calhoun. Uh side note, they mention, Ty Dunn mentions that Calhoun also has worked with Russell Wilson and Cam Newton. Okay. He definitely has that I want to show the Packers why they picked me so high, chip on his shoulder. I'm really getting tired of the phrase chip on his shoulder. And I, I think you know why I'm getting tired of that phrase. Uh I don't like Aaron's chip on his shoulder. I like I don't know. See, Tom Brady's chip on his shoulder is like, hey, I'm going to go win a Super Bowl. And Aaron's is like, I'm going to cut you out of my life and mail back the Christmas presents you sent me. That's what drives him to keep working extremely hard out here with me, and he's looking forward to that opportunity. Moving on from Mr. Calhoun, Mark Ross, former NFL executive who now I guess works for NFL Network, He spent some time talking about Love's 2018 season and his 2019 season. Obviously, the 2018 season looked better statistically in, like, every category. However, it's the 2019 season Ross points to as proof when Love lost four offensive linemen, his starting running back, his starting tight end, and top three receivers. Man, I knew he lost a lot of guys and had a whole new coaching staff, but golly, that's a lot. I mean... Okay, lost four offensive linemen. Let's just let's just do this exercise with Rodgers here. Let's say he loses Bakhtiari, Lindsley, uh, Balaga, and oh, Elton Jenkins, and he's left with Billy Turner and Lucas Patrick, and then you try and cobble together the rest of the offensive line <laughs> with I don't know Jake Hansen and Yash Nijman. This is your offensive line. And then you lose uh, Robert Tunyon, lose Devontae and Jordy and Randall Cobb. And uh, that's, you know, then you got to make things work with what you got left. And you're throwing it at Darius Shepard and Geronimo Allison and MBS. Good luck to you. And I think Ryan read this quote yesterday. He's talking about the tools that Tua had available to him at Alabama. And uh, I'm not going to read all that because he just, it's a long list. And he says, put love on Alabama, and he's the Heisman Trophy winner. Put Tua in Utah State, disaster. Well, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, both of these guys now play for NFL teams with pros at every single position. Uh, we'll see. What the Dolphins and Packers can do if uh, Jordan, in fact, does run the offense this year. I think Tua's rookie year was kind of disappointing in some ways. But obviously, Brian Flores and the rest of the coaches there are trusting him completely to run the team now. I mean, they shipped off um, Fitzpatrick. So most of the rest of this article is a bunch of Rodgers bashing. Uh, I'm not really interested in reading that. What I'm looking for is any little bit of information. I mean, everybody in here who's quoted loves to talk about his arm talent. Oh, yeah, he can throw off every platform. He's so accurate, so smooth, doesn't matter, you know, off-platform, all that stuff. Yeah, we know all that. Uh, I'm looking for anything that could point to any signs that maybe his decision-making, his vision have improved. I mean, other than Steve Calhoun, I, I don't see anybody who would be in position to know how he's doing right now. And and Calhoun had other things he wanted to talk about, but we can be excited about his arm talent. We can also be excited about his, you know, what he brings as a leader, Henry Columbi, however you say his backup wanted to talk about, uh, loves leadership and, and, you know, in that 2019 season, they had a bunch of different, opportunity to see what Love was like when the chips were down, because the chips were down a lot for the 2019 Aggies. Here we go, the article. What stands out most to Love's backup was his calm. When the pocket collapsed, when receivers dropped passes, when mayhem ensued all around him, Love never pointed the finger at anyone. There were no eye rolls, no death stares to the sideline, no arms thrown in the air or F-bombs directed at a coach. Columbia sincerely cannot remember Love showing any signs of exasperation that season. Now, obviously, that paragraph was written with Aaron Rodgers in mind. You know, Ty Dunn's the one who wrote that. He's obviously trying to contrast that with what we've seen from Aaron, you know, for a decade. Is Love an upgrade over Aaron Rodgers? Obviously not. He's not. Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Fame quarterback, just won the MVP. Can Love become a really competent starting quarterback? I mean, does he have the potential to have a really high ceiling? Absolutely. And I think that this is, you know, if if we don't get Rodgers this year, having Love is going to be a different kind of exciting. We get to be really excited for the future. We get to be excited for Matt Lafleur getting to run his offense, his way with his handpicked quarterback. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll see if that's what ends up happening. I I think there's a decent chance that's what happens. But uh, thanks to Ty Dunn. Get to hear uh, from Love's quarterback coach exactly what's going on there. And uh, nice to get that perspective. Let's go ahead and take an ad break, and I'll be right back. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your
0: hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive, sought after, rare, and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase.
1: Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. So I got some questions that were sent in. Thank you to everybody who did. I'm going to. Get through as many of these as we can. We're 25 minutes into the podcast. I'm going to keep it under an hour for sure. So start with the earlier questions, and when we run out of time, then we'll shut it down. So let's see here. If you are the GM – oh, sorry, this is Robert Dalton on Twitter. If you are the GM and you have decided to possibly trade Rogers, what is the deal Denver could offer you to get you to pull the trigger? Uh, I've had a lot of people ask me this and I pretty consistently have said, I'm not really interested in anything that Denver has. What I really want is picks, a lot of picks. I want at least three first round picks and we got an issue here, which is that, you know, it's not that the Broncos have no talent on the roster, but I mean, who can we pay? You know, if you trade a player to us, who can we pay? We are currently $33 million over the salary cap for next year. For this year, uh, Ken Ingalls is estimating we need to free up close to $9 million uh, because we got to sign our draft class. We have a couple other things that we got to pay for. Dean Lowry looks like he's probably going bye-bye, I would guess. Definitely a lot of people out there who would disagree with me on that. I would be interested in, I mean, if money was no object. Shelby Harris graded out really well last year, D-lineman. Obviously, you know, I've been pounding, the D- pounding for help for D-line for a while. I love that we drafted TJ Slayton. He was a f- fifth-round pick, fourth-round pick, though. So, I mean, you could go the defensive back route. You know, they just drafted uh, Patrick Sotan. They got Bryce Callahan. They got Justin Simmons, who's decent. They got some decent defensive players. Offensively, I've heard Cortland Sutton thrown around. Uh, Sure, I guess. Jerry Judy, meh. Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater? No, thank you. I think it's going to have to be probably... Cortland Sutton or Patrick Sertan for me. But, I mean, you know, we just drafted Eric Stokes. So, obviously, Sertan is better than Stokes um, right now. You know, we had to see how they develop in the league, how they get coached up. But, uh, I mean, Sertan over Stokes is a no-brainer. And, you know, not going to complain about having multiple great cornerbacks. You know, just get rid of Kevin King. Get rid of Josh Jackson. But I think I think from the Broncos, I'm going to need a minimum of three firsts in order to be interested, because I just, you know, from from the player aspect, you got to think it's not just who are we getting from them because we got to pay them, too. So you're going to have to move on from some of our guys and just a reminder, you know, we don't have guys that we can cut who you don't love with the exception of Preston Smith. And I don't need to get into it right now because we've talked about it all off season. uh, But his contract doesn't free up a ton for a while because, you know, it's already been paid out. This is uh, just cap hit where it's not money. So I don't know. Moving on from Aaron Rodgers, if you see, if you do a post June one, you free up twenty-two million dollars. That is not a lot of money. It's not. When you look at where we're at, we need to free up at least 10 million anyways, even if we're keeping Rodgers, and we're 33 million over next year. I just I'm not super geeked out about, you know, doing a trade with the Broncos for some of their players that I'm not super thrilled about. I I don't want Jerry Judy, I don't want Drew Locke. And you're talking about we got to pay those guys. We got to cut somebody of our own and you don't free up that kind of money by cutting Dean Lowry. You do it by cutting Zadarius Smith. So I mean, seriously, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about moving on from probably Zadarius. I, you don't get where you need to be just with moving on from Preston and Dean Lowry. You do it by moving on from Zedarius. So, or Kenny, you know, do you want to move on from from one of those guys? Because that's what it's going to take to bring in, you know, guys from other teams. And, you know, they're, they're not just paid for just because, uh, we gave up Aaron Rodgers for them. No, they still count against the cap, which Packard pick. Do you think could make a surprise impact? Question from Jill DuPont, again on Twitter. I'm going to go with Royce Newman because you specifically said could make a surprise impact. Royce Newman, uh, I don't think most people are expecting to be a starter, but I think that he could be, and I think everybody would be surprised if he is. Uh, Newman and Billy Turner, I'm kind of lumping together as... You know, they could play right guard, could play right tackle. You know, I think it depends on probably who's better at right tackle probably gets that job because it's more important to just find the best right tackle as opposed to, yeah, but, you know, Royce is better as a tackle than he is as a guard, but Billy is a better tackle. No, Billy wins that job. Tackle is more important. So for surprise impact, I'm going Royce Newman for surefire impact, Josh Myers is the starting center. That's I mean almost certainly a guarantee. Maybe a kick Elton into center, in which case Josh Myers is what, well, like the left guard. But Josh Myers started every single snap in his college career at center. But uh yeah, Royce Newman is the is my my guy for uh, surprise impact. Love TJ Slayton, obviously, but I think he's going to need some time to develop. He's kind of all physical freak and a little bit lacking in the finesse, but we got a great D-line coach who's going to do some good work with him, and I'm excited to see what he can become. And, uh, you know, he and Kingsley and Kenny Clark can figure out how to lock up that interior. And I'm honestly super excited for our defense this year. I think think we're going to have a lights out defense, which is why it kind of sucks that uh, Rogers wants out right now. Andy Beadle on Twitter. If you could add any historic Packers in their prime to our current roster, who would it be? Uh, got a couple answers. I mean, the obvious one here probably would have to be Bart Starr for me <laughs> just because, you know, I'm sick of quarterback drama and we never had quarterback drama with Bart star. He was like, I feel like, you know, he's what the Packers have been chasing for forever. You know, they they love the elite, top-level talent. But you look at the kind of guys that they constantly try and bring in to the locker room, and it's just good dudes like Bart Starr. But, I mean, it's a different league. Bart Starr would not be able to compete. But you know who could? would be Reggie White. Let's bring in Reggie White. Let's bring in Prime, Nick Collins— and uh, let's bring in Charles Woodson. So that's pretty easy for me. I think all three of those guys would still be very effective in today's NFL. You don't have to. I mean, obviously, you know, you look back at like Don Hudson and then how effective would he be today? He would not be, you know, the the alien, the physical freak that he was back then. But I think uh, Nick Collins and Charles Woodson and Reggie White, I think they they could all still be uh, at or near the, the top of their game in today's league. MVS Fan Club on Twitter wants to know, outside of Adams, let's hear your thoughts on MVS and the rest of the receiver core. Gosh, I'm so surprised that Mr. MVS Fan Club wants to hear my thoughts on MVS. Uh, I like MVS. Uh, there is a little bit of a debate going on on Twitter tonight about MVS. I think Matt Schneidman is the one who kind of brought it up and was pumping up MVS as like, you know, evidence for why the Packers actually do have great wide receivers. I think the the question that came up was, you know, what the Packers don't draft first round wide receivers these days. Not that they ever have. They've done it like four times in their franchise history. And Matt Schneidman is talking about, yeah, you don't you don't need to draft him in the first round to hit on a good wide receiver. And, and uh, somebody goes, well, why haven't they done it in the last few years? And he goes, well, you don't think MVS is a good wide receiver? I like MVS. I would not bring him up in an argument as proof of why the Packers have great wide receivers. But let's take stock of our wide receiver situation. MVS was our... Wide receiver, two last year. It really wasn't close. He beat out Alan Lazard in practically every category. Let's go through it. Lazard played in 10 games. Uh, MVS didn't get hurt. He played all 16 games. Targets, Lazard 46, MVS 63. Receptions, they actually tied 33. Yards, 451 for Lazard, 690 for MVS. Yards per reception. Uh Lazard had 13.7, MVS had 20.9. No surprise there because MVS is primarily a deep threat. Touchdowns, three for Lazard, six for MVS. First downs, 23 for Lazard, 27 for MVS. Now I know at this point what's going through your mind is well, duh, Lazard missed several games. And when he came back after his injury, he wasn't himself. Well, fair enough. Let's look at some stuff that we can kind of adjust uh, based on how many snaps they played. Let's look at snap count percentage. This is percentage of available offensive snaps taken for games in which this player appeared. So in other words, this is a percentage, not, a, not a, just a flat number. And we're filtering out the games in which Lazar did not play. There were four players on the team who played more offensive snaps per, on a, a per-game basis than MVS. Those were Billy Turner, Lucas Patrick, Aaron Rodgers, and Elton Jenkins. That's right. MVS actually beat out Devontae Adams. He beat out David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, Robert Tunyon, Aaron Jones, and Alan Lazard. Lazard came in at 45.24%. MVS was 66, sorry, 76.32. So let me just clarify. Lazard was below 50%. MVS was above 75%. The total number of snaps, 793 snaps for MVS. And Alan Lazard had 470, nearly half the number that MVS did. So no question, MVS was wide receiver two in 2020. Obviously, a big part of that had to do with, you know, Devin Funches was opted out. Alan Lazard was hurt when he was hurt or when, when he did come back. He was not himself because he was still recovering from his core muscle injury. I would not expect MVS to be wide receiver two again this year. I would expect him to probably be wide receiver three or ideally wide receiver four because I like MVS. But I would like him to be buried further down the depth chart because other better guys are ahead of him. Obviously, we have Amari Rogers, and we have Alan Lazard, and we have Devin Funches. I think these are the names that we are looking at in addition to MVS as being guys who make the 53. Amari Rogers, I don't think he is going to be wide receiver two this year. It would be nice. I think we're going to see him heavily involved in special teams. I think we're going to see him used in kind of a supplemental role, if you will, on the offense. Lafleur talked about actually Gudikunz. It wasn't Lafleur; it was Gudikunz, which is interesting because he's Jam was talking about wanting to use Amari to dig out safeties. You know, in other words freeing up those home run hits for other receivers like MVS, like Devontae. Wide receivers do a lot more than just catch balls. The routes they run are a crucial part of especially Matt Lafleur's offense. You got all the misdirection. You got guys running one way, guys running another way. You got to dig out those safeties who are hanging back. You got to make it look like the ball is going to Amari. Balls actually going to MVS and you need to make sure there's not a safety up there ready to take the top off of MVS. I think we're going to see Amari used pretty heavily in that Tyler Irvin role doing the jet sweeps. Uh, I'm excited for his usage. I don't think he's going to be wide receiver too. maybe by the end of the year. Uh, similar kind of to what I've been saying about Eric Stokes. I think Eric Stokes does not start out the year opposite Jair. I think Kevin King is CB two to start the year. I expect by the end of the season for Eric Stokes to beat him out. Maybe that's what happens with Amari. Uh, I think wide receivers typically have a bit of a, you know, some growing pains when they come into the league. Don't just be jealous of what the Vikings have in Justin Jefferson. He's kind of a <laughs> one of a kind talent. Um, you're not going to get a, uh, You know, did he win? He didn't. Justin Herbert won the offensive rookie of the year. Jefferson probably really should have. You don't get that very often. And Amari Rogers is a third round pick, not a, an early first like Justin Jefferson was. So hold your horses, keep your expectations low. I think Devin Funches is kind of the next interesting guy to talk about here. I think you need to temper your expectations with Devin Funches. He hasn't played a game in like three years. And when he did play, he was a lot like Geronimo Allison. Had a lot of the same drop issues. Butterfingers. Um, he's not the fastest guy in the world. He's young. That's the interesting thing about him. Devin Funches, young guy. Doesn't it seem like he's been in the league for like a thousand years already? He's 26 years old. 26. Never in my wildest guesses would I have put him below 28. He's 26. He played one game in 2019. Missed the entire 2019 season. Except for he had three receptions in that one game and then he was hurt. And he didn't play at all in 2020. So by the time the 2021 season starts, he will have not played since week one of 2019, a game in which he barely featured. 2018, he played 14 games, started 12 of those. He had 79 targets for 44 receptions. So he's catching a little over half the balls you throw at him. Had 549 yards, 12 half yards per reception, four touchdowns, and 35 first downs. Uh, you know who that sounds like? That sounds like the wide receiver two and three that we have here in Green Bay for the last couple of years, whether that's Jeronimo uh, Allison, Al Lazard, MBS. That's the kind of numbers they've been putting up. Uh, 2017, he played 16 games. He had twice the number of yards, almost uh, 840 yards, 111 targets, 63 receptions. So, again, just over half of his balls are being caught. You go back to 2016, 58 targets, 23 receptions. This is a theme with him. He catches like – actually, you know what? This is so handy. If I had just looked over to the right, they literally have a column called catch percentage. Why don't we go through that? 2019 when he played all of like 8 snaps uh he had a 60.0% catch percentage well done i'm you know those those 8 snaps you played were fabulous going backwards 2018 55.7% catch percentage 56.8 in 2017 30 point, or 39.7 in 2016 49.2% in 2015 out of curiosity, let's compare that to Al Mazzard. He had a 71.7% catch percentage in 2020, 67.3% in 2019. That was his lowest year ever. He had uh, one reception in 2018. I'm not counting that. <clears throat> as impressive as 100% catch percentage is, I'm, I'm not counting that. So just to remind you, Devin Fungis, 55.7, 56.8. Let's look at MVS. 52.4, 46.4, 52.1. Those are his catch percentages. So you're looking at basically another guy with the number of caught balls as MVS. Technically less caught balls than Geronimo Allison. I mean, that's the first thing you think about is all all the drops and fumbles that Geronimo had. He had a higher catch percentage every single year than Funchess did. I'm not high on the odds of Funchess making the team this year, to be honest with you. I think Devante's wide receiver one. I think Lazard is probably wide receiver two. Uh, But again, maybe by the end of the year, Amari Rogers is wide receiver two. I think MVS is a pretty solid wide receiver three. I think he, Stacks up pretty closely with what you see, you know, from other wide receiver threes around the league. That's four guys right there jumbled up in some order. Packers typically keep five or six wide receivers on the 53 man roster. Funches is one of the more expensive ones they have, though. What tends to kind of be the deciding factor for the Packers these last couple years when they're figuring out that bottom wide receiver spot? You know the answer. It's run blocking. They love them some good run blocking wide receivers. Got some news for you. Devin Fungis is pretty terrible at run blocking. I don't have a PFF grade for him on that, so maybe PFF disagrees. However, you Google Devin Fungis run blocking, and what you get is a litany of headlines and stories um, that cast his run blocking in a negative light. In fact, uh, the, there's a um article here about the the Panthers and uh, a game where they could have won, but Funches gave up a pretty uh big hit on McCaffrey and uh was kind of called out in this article for the poor attempt that he made to block for McCaffrey. So I don't know. I I'd kinda be surprised if Funches makes the roster. Maybe he does, uh but you know, there's certainly uh, some bunch of supporters out there and he's a nice guy. But, uh, you know, in terms of getting on the roster, I, I, I just I think he doesn't offer a ton. He He's had some games, you know, where he really went off, including one against the Packers years ago. So we'll see. So anyways, we got to take a break and I'll be right back. Which position group will be the most competitive in camp? Which one should we keep an eye on? So the position group we should keep an eye on, obviously, is going to be quarterback. I don't need to tell you that. We're going to skip right past that one. And I'm going to say corner is obviously a really fascinating one because I think a lot of fans are expecting Eric Stokes to beat out uh, Kevin King. I talked about this a few minutes ago. Probably should have saved it for this question. But now you know my thoughts on that. But it's possible. You know, in the NFL, you aren't just even first round picks aren't just handed any job. You earn the job by beating out the guy ahead of you. Stokes, I think, has the potential to be a much better player than Kevin King. But right now, King has a massive advantage, massive head start on. Stokes in terms of understanding his job, understanding the defense. Yes, we have a new defensive coordinator. Yes, then things are going to change. Yes, Kevin King knows more about what we're doing than um, than Eric Stokes does. There's a big group of folks last year who really wanted Josh Jackson to be starting over Kevin King. And it was pretty simple. The Packers trusted Kevin a lot more than they trusted Josh Jackson. Josh could not get on the field, and it's not really any mystery. The Packers have demonstrated over and over again, and I think a lot of teams do this. They would rather have you do the right job, do the job that we told you to do poorly, as opposed to not do what we told you to and and go off half-cocked and do your own thing. That's a big part of why you got some more questionable veterans who are starting over uh, rookies that you as a fan feel are more talented. I think that's going to be the case with Eric Stokes. And I don't mind him taking some time to develop and really be the, become the best version of himself that he can be. And, you know, as much as you may not like that idea, we've had Kevin King as our CB two for years and it has not been a problem. I mean, Obviously, you can point to specific examples where it was a problem, but on a game-to-game basis, he does fine as a CB2. Uh, he's not a great CB2. He's a below average, but I think you're going to get uh, better results from having Kevin King there than you will from having a rookie cornerback out there who's not ready to play. I got a multi-part question here from Brian. Uh I think I'm only going to tackle the first two questions in here, Brian, because I'm running out of time. And uh, also, it's 2 a.m. <laughs> as I'm recording this. Uh, question one, steak, rare, mid-rare? I'm a rare guy myself. Yeah, I got to agree with you. Uh, rare for sure. Uh, I actually, this past week, <clears throat> I was out of town for this wedding and ended up having three steaks three days in a row. Unfortunately, you know, we started out with the best one first and then went backwards in quality um, over the uh, next two days. But the, the first steak, steak that I had was uh, just absolutely beautiful. Melt in your mouth. Yeah, rare for me for sure. And uh, I was talking to my wife about this. I don't grill steaks. Maybe some of you do. I, I know a couple restaurants that do. I'm not a fan of grilled steaks. I have, have a nice... Cast iron skillet, put some avocado oil in there or some other oil that has a really high burn point because you don't want that smoke. Get it nice and hot. Get your steak. I like a New York strip. Some of you like a good ribeye. I'm down for ribeye. I'm not a big fan of a filet, but whatever. Get it in that hot, hot pan and uh, you don't need any A1 or anything. Just a little bit of salt. You're good to go. Massive fan of that and, and definitely rare. And then the second question was about football. And I sort of answered it in the last one, but um, you reminded me of another guy I got to talk about. Do EQ and Funchess make the roster? Forgot to talk about EQ. I think it's extremely unlikely that they both make the roster. I think it's kind of one or the other. I would probably guess Funchess makes the roster over EQ. EQ was, what, a sixth-round pick? I just... I I like him. I think drafting Aaron uh, Amari Rodgers was kind of the death knell for EQ. I mean, Amari is kind of everything EQ was probably supposed to be. I mean, obviously, the biggest difference between the two is physically they're very different guys. EQ is... Huge, really tall, really fast. Uh, but we got MVS, and you don't need MVS and EQ. Uh, when you're already probably looking for guys to get rid of, I think Funches probably fills a different role. Funches is more of that Alan nazard player, uh, I think. So I don't know. I, I experience and the production that he's been able to. Uh, put into a stat line over the years, probably beats EQ hollow in every possible way. I'll go ahead and tackle the third party question. Uh, Assuming Rodgers is the quarterback and they bring in a veteran, do we carry three quarterbacks in the roster each week, make love inactive each week again, or put the veteran on the practice squad? Uh, Number one, do we, we, we carry three quarterbacks in the roster each week? Uh, I don't think there's any any question about that. But if Rodgers is the quarterback, I don't think that QB3 is a veteran. I think QB3 is a rookie in that case. I think that, uh, you know, we all right, let's just take a look at the veteran quarterbacks just for the sake of the argument. They're not good. I, I talked about this a couple times this week already. Just not, I guess, on this show. So here we go. Available in 2021. This list is just pathetic. I don't want any of these guys. So number one, we have Alex Smith. No, he retired. He's done. Jeff Driscoll. If you have never watched Jeff Driscoll play, then you can be forgiven for putting him on this list. Otherwise, stop. (laughs) RG3, he's available. I I think that uh, this would be probably my guy. RG3, uh, if you don't remember, Matt LaFleur was his quarterback coach, his mentor, his rookie season. RG3 and Kirk Cousins were on the roster together. They were rookies. Uh, Matt LaFleur coached them up. I think he turned him into pretty darn good quarterbacks. I think after they were no longer playing under Matt LaFleur. I would say that the course of their career wasn't the best. You can find a similar parallel to that, again, with Jared Goff. He also got Matt Barkley and Josh McCown. Josh McCown, I mean, he's kind of become a fan favorite in the last couple of years because, you know, it's a really cool story. But he's 42. He looked pretty bad last year. Um, I don't know. He's 42. Do I need to say more? Jameis Winston pops up on every single one of these lists, and I don't really understand what's going on with him because when you Google Jameis Winston, you find all these articles about him agreeing to a new contract with the Saints. And yet he's on every single one of these. I mean, I'm looking at Track here. They have it sorted, uh, all available free agent quarterbacks. There's nobody on this list that you would not expect to see here, except for Jameis Winston. When I checked out his contract specifically, they mentioned that his contract automatically voids next year, but it looks like he's under contract for this year. So I don't know. I know they were doing a lot of goofy stuff with um, void years and all that. I don't know. We'll see if Jameis is available. (laughs) He's the the clear number one. I mean the the guy has what it takes to be a starter in the NFL. Uh you know, hopefully Matt LaFleur's safer offense uh results in a lot less interceptions than uh Bruce Arians, you know, bold and wild offense does, but whatever. You got Brian Hoyer, he's pretty bad. Blake Bortles, no. Brett Hundley, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, why not? Sean Mannion. Nick Mullins, Nick Mullins and Jeff Driscoll are the ones I hear all the time. Everybody wants Nick Mullins and I don't get it because I feel like we've seen Nick Mullins a lot over the last couple of years. And it's always gross. I don't want Nick Mullins on the team. I would seriously rather roll with Jordan love than Nick Mullins. And it's not even close. Nick Mullins is QB three. If it's Rogers love and Mullins. You got Jake Rudock. Never heard of him. Kurt Benkert. I've never heard of these guys. Kurt Benkert. He's from Atlanta. He's twenty six years old. Joe Webb. If at least heard of him. Jacob Dolagala, Again, never heard of this guy. I guess he was a New England quarterback. Jeez, they had like five quarterbacks last year. New England did. Jeez. All right, running out of time here. I I don't think any of these guys are going to be ahead of Jordan Love on the depth chart unless it's Jameis Winston, RG3, or maybe Josh McCown. But, I mean, come on, Josh McCown, seriously, the guy needs to retire if he's not retired already. He's 42. He took a horrible hit in that Eagles playoff game against uh, Seattle from uh, Clowney. The guy needs to know when to hang it up, and I know when not to sign a 42, almost 43-year-old quarterback. I say we're not doing McCown. I say we're not doing uh, Brett Hundley, and I say we're not doing Nick Mullins. So, There you go. I think the Packers are very clear that Jordan Love is intended to be QB2 this year. Unless there is no Aaron Rodgers, and then maybe uh, Love is QB1 after all. That's kind of what Lafleur was alluding to. And it's easy to see that, because they let Tim Boyle go. You don't do that if you intend for Love to be QB3. So there were a bunch of other fabulous questions. Uh, looks like the questions in the Facebook group kind of started pouring in a lot later than the ones on Twitter. So, um, kind of bummed I didn't get to hit any of those, but... It looks like most of these are not time-sensitive ones, so we can get to these the next time I'm on here. Some of these are super good questions. I'm excited to dive into these. All right, that's going to do it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Don't forget to check out the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Check me out on Twitter at JJLahey. Check out Packernet.com and uh, probably get another episode from Ryan as normally scheduled uh, tomorrow. So thank you again. Catch you all later bye
0: Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy.